part two of infamous day marines at pearl harbor seven december nineteen forty one by robert james cressman and j michael wenger this librivox recording is in the public domain unlike the battleships the enemy had caught moored on battleship row pennsylvania bb thirty eight the fleet flagship lay on keel blocks sharing dry dock number one at the navy yard with casson db three seven two and downs dd three seven five two destroyers side by side ahead of her three of pennsylvania's four propeller shafts had been removed and she was receiving all steam power and water from the yard although her being in dry dock had excused her from taking part in anti-aircraft drills her crew swiftly manned her machine guns after the first bombs exploded among the pby flying boats parked on the south end of ford island air defense stations then sounded followed by general quarters men knocked the locks off ready-use ammunition stowage and pennsylvania opened fire about eight o two the fleet flagship and the two destroyers nestled in the dry dock ahead of her led a charmed life until dive bombers from soryu and hiru targeted the dry dock area between eight thirty and nine fifteen one bomb penetrated pennsylvania's boat deck just to the rear of five inch twenty five gun number seven and detonated in casemate number nine of pennsylvania's marine detachment two men privates patrick p tobin and george h wade jr died outright thirteen fell wounded and six were listed as missing three of the wounded corporal morris e nations and jesse c vincent jr and private first-class floyd d stewart died later the same day as the onslaught descended upon the battleships and the air station marine detachments hurried to their battle stations on board other ships elsewhere at pearl in the navy yard lay argonne a g thirty one the flagship of the base force the heavy cruisers new orleans c a thirty two and san francisco c a thirty eight and the light cruisers honolulu c l forty eight st louis c l forty nine and helena c l fifty to the northeast of fort island lay the light cruiser phoenix c l forty three although utah was torpedoed and sunk at her berth early in the attack her fourteen marines on temporary duty at the fourteenth naval district rifle range found useful employment combating the enemy the fleet machine-gun school lay on oahu's south coast west of the pearl harbor entrance channel at fort weaver the men stationed there including several marines on temporary duty from the carrier enterprise and the battleships california and pennsylvania sprang to action at the first sounds of war working with the men from the rifle range all hands set up and mounted guns and broke out and belted ammunition between seven fifty five and eight ten all those present at the range were issued pistols or rifles from the facilities armory soon after the raid began platoon sergeant harold g edwards set about securing the camp against any incursion the japanese might attempt from the landward side and also supervised the emplacement of machine-guns along the beach 
lieutenant j g roy r nelson the officer in charge of the rifle range remembered the many occasions when captain frank m reinecke commanding officer of utah's marine detachment and the senior instructor at the fleet machine gun school and as his naval academy classmates remembered quite a conversationalist had maintained that the school's weapons would be a great asset if anybody ever attacked hawaii by eight ten reinecke's gunners stood ready to prove the point and soon engaged the enemy most likely torpedo planes clearing pearl harbor or high-level bombers approaching from the south nearby army units perhaps alerted by the marines fire opened up soon thereafter unfortunately the eager gunners succeeded in downing one of two sbds from enterprise that were attempting to reach hickam field an army crash boat fortunately rescued the pilot and his wounded passengers soon thereafter on board argon meanwhile alongside ten ten dock her marines manned her starboard three-inch twenty-three battery and her machine guns commander fred w connor the ship's commanding officer later credited corporal alfred schlag with shooting down one japanese plane as it headed for battleship row when the attack began helena lay moored alongside ten ten dock the venerable mine layer oglala c m three outboard a signalman standing watch on the light cruiser's signal bridge at seven fifty seven identified the planes over ford island as japanese and the ship went to general quarters before she could fire a shot in her own defence however one eight hundred kilogram torpedo barreled into her starboard side about a minute after the general alarm had begun summoning her men to their battle stations the explosion vented up from the forward engine room through the hatch and passageways catching many of the crew running to their stations and started fires on the third deck platoon sergeant robert w teague privates first class paul f hubner jr and george e johnson and private lester a morris were all severely burned johnson later died to the southeast new orleans lay across the pier from her sister ship san francisco the former went to general quarters soon after enemy planes had been sighted dive-bombing fort island around seven fifty seven at eight o five as several low-flying torpedo planes roared by bound for battleship row marine sentries on the fantail opened fire with rifles and forty-fives new orleans men meanwhile so swiftly manned the one point one inch seventy five quads and the fifty caliber machine guns under the direction of captain william r collins the commanding officer of the ship's marine detachment that the ship actually managed to shoot at torpedo planes passing her stern san francisco however under major overhaul with neither operative armament nor major caliber ammunition on board was thus restricted to having her men fire small arms at whatever japanese planes came within range some of her crew though hurried over to new orleans which was near missed by one bomb and helped man her five inchers st louis outboard of honolulu went to general quarters at seven fifty seven and opened fire with her one point one quadruple mounted anti-aircraft and fifty caliber machine-gun batteries and after getting her five-inch mounts in commission by eight thirty although without power in train she hauled in her lines at eight forty seven and got under way at nine thirty one 
with all five inchers in full commission by nine forty seven she proceeded to sea passing the channel entrance buoys abeam around ten o'clock honolulu damaged by a near miss from a bomb remained moored at her berth throughout the action phoenix moored by herself in berth c six in pearl harbor to the northeast of fort island noted the attacking planes at seven fifty five and went to general quarters her machine-gun battery opened fire at eight ten on the attacking planes as they came within range her anti-aircraft battery five minutes later ultimately after two false starts where she had gotten under way and left her berth only to see sortie signals cancelled each time phoenix cleared the harbor later that day and put to sea for at least one marine though the day's adventure was not over when the japanese planes departed search flights took off from fort island pilots taking up utility aircraft with scratch crews to look for the enemy carriers which had launched the raid mustered at the naval air station on fort island oklahoma's sergeant haley still clad in his oil-soaked underwear volunteered to go up in a plane that was leaving on a search mission at around eleven thirty he remained aloft in the plane armed with a rifle for some five hours after the attacking planes had retired the grim business of cleaning up and getting on with the war had to be undertaken muster had to be taken to determine who was missing who was wounded who lay dead men sought out their friends and shipmates first lieutenant cornelius c smith jr from the marine barracks at the navy yard searched in vain among the maimed and dying at the naval hospital later that day for his friend harry gaver from oklahoma death respected no rank the most senior marine to die that day was lieutenant colonel daniel r fox the decorated world war i hero and the division marine officer on the staff of the commander battleship division one rear admiral isaac c kidd who along with lieutenant colonel fox had been killed in arizona the tragedy of pearl harbor struck some families with more force than others numbered among arizona's lost were private gordon e shive of the battleship's marine detachment and his brother radioman third-class malcolm h shive a member of the ship's company over the next few days marines from the sunken ships received reassignment to other vessels nevada's marines deployed ashore to set up defensive positions in the fields adjacent to the grounded and listing warship and the dead those who could be found were interred with appropriate ceremony eventually the deeds of marines in the battleship detachments were recognized by appropriate commendations and advancements in ratings chief among them gunnery sergeant douglas sergeant haley and corporals driscoll and darling were each awarded the navy cross for his meritorious conduct at the peril of his own life major shapley was commended and awarded the silver star lieutenant simonson was awarded a posthumous bronze star while tennessee's commanding officer commended captain white for the way in which he had directed that battleship's anti-aircraft guns that morning titanic salvage efforts raised some of the sunken battleships california west virginia and nevada and they like the surviving marines went on to play a part in the ultimate defeat of the enemy who had begun the war with such swift and terrible suddenness they caught us flat-footed 
at seven forty when fuchida's flyers had closed to within a few miles of kahuku point the forty three zero split away from the rest of the formation swinging out north and west of wheeler field the headquarters of the hawaiian air force eighteenth pursuit wing passing further to the south at about seven forty five the soryu and hiru divisions executed a hard diving turn to port and headed north toward wheeler eleven zeros from shokaku and zuikaku simultaneously left the formation and flew east crossing over oahu north of pearl harbor to attack n a s kanahoe bay eighteen from akagi and kaga headed toward what the japanese called babasu point to hikojo barber's point aerodrome iwa mooring mast field sweeping over the waianae range lieutenant commander shiguru itaya led akagi's nine zeros while lieutenant yoshio shiga headed another division of nine from kaga after the initial attack itaya and shiga were to be followed by divisions from soryu under lieutenant masiji suganami and hiru under lieutenant kiyokumu okajima which were at that moment involved in attacking wheeler to the north in the officers mess at iwa the officer of the day captain leonard w ashwell of vmj two five two noticed two formations of aircraft at seven fifty five the first looked like eighteen torpedo planes flying at a thousand feet toward pearl harbor from barber's point but the second to the northwest comprised about twenty one planes just coming over the hills from the direction of nanakuli also at an altitude of about a thousand feet ashwell intrigued by the sight stepped outside for a better look the second formation of single-seat fighters the two divisions from akaji and kaga flew just to the north of iwa and wheeled to the right then flying in a string formation they commenced firing recognizing the planes as japanese ashwell burst back into the mess shouting air raid air raid pass the word he then sprinted for the guardhouse to have call to arms sounded that sunday morning technical sergeant henry h anglin the non-commissioned officer in charge of the photographic section at iwa had driven from his pearl city home with his three-year-old son hank to take the boy's picture at the station the senior anglin had just positioned the lad in front of the camera and was about to take the photo the picture was to be a gift to the boy's grandparents when they heard the mingled noise of airplanes and machine guns roaring down to within twenty-five feet of the ground itaya's group most likely carried out only one pass at their targets before moving on to hickam the headquarters of the hawaiian air force's eighteenth bombardment wing thinking that army pilots were showing off sergeant anglin stepped outside the photographic section tent and along with some other enlisted men watched planes bearing japanese markings strafing the edge of the field then the planes began roaring down toward the field itself and the bullets from their cowl and wing-mounted guns began kicking up puffs of dirt look live ammunition someone said or thought somebody'll go to prison for this 
shiga pilots like itayas concentrated on the tactical aircraft lined up neatly on iwa's northwest apron with short bursts of seven point seven and twenty millimeter machine-gun fire shiga's pilots unlike itayas however reversed course over the treetops and repeated their blistering attacks from the opposite direction within minutes most of mag twenty one's planes sat ablaze and exploding black smoke corkscrewing into the sky the enemy spared none of the planes the gray spd ones and twos of vmsb two three two and the seven spare sb two u threes left behind by vmsb two three one when they embarked in lexington just two days before vmf 211's remaining f four f threes left behind when the squadron deployed to wake well over a week before likewise began exploding in flame and smoke at his home on iwa beach three miles southeast of the air station captain richard c mangrum vmsb 232's flight officer sat reading the sunday comics often residents of that area had heard gunnery exercises but on a sunday morning the chatter of gunfire and the dull thump of explosions however drew mangrum's attention away from the cartoons as he looked out his front door planes with red ball markings on the wings and fuselage roared by at very low altitude bound for pearl harbor up the valley in the direction of wheeler field smoke was boiling skyward as it was from iwa as he set out for Iwa on an old country road, wives and children of Marines who lived in the Iwa Beach neighborhood began gathering at the Mangrum's house. Elsewhere in the Iwa Beach community, Mrs. Charles S. Barker, Jr., wife of Master Technical Sergeant Barker, the chief clerk in MAG-21's operations office, heard the noise and asked, "'What's all the shooting?' Barker, clad only in beach shorts, looked out his front door, saw and heard a plane fly by at low altitude, and then saw splashes along the shoreline from strafing planes marked with red Hinumaru. Running out to turn off the water hose in his front yard, and seeing a small explosion nearby, probably an anti-aircraft shell from the direction of Pearl, Barker had seen enough. He left his wife and baby with his neighbors and set out for Iwa. The strafers who singled out cars moving along the roads that led to Iwa proved no respecter of persons. MAG-21's commanding officer, Lieutenant Colonel Claude A. Sheriff Larkin, en route from Honolulu, was about a mile from Iwa in his 1930 Plymouth when a zero shot at him. He momentarily abandoned the car for the relative sanctuary of a nearby ditch, not even bothering to turn off the engine, and then, as the strafer roared out of sight, sprinted back to the vehicle, jumped back in, and sped on. He reached his destination at 8.05, just in time to be machine-gunned again by one of Admiral Nagumo's fighters. Soon thereafter, Larkin's good fortune at remaining unwounded amidst the attack ran out, as he suffered several penetrating wounds, the most painful of which included one on the top of the middle finger of his left hand, and another on the front of his lower left leg, just above the top of his shoe. Refusing immediate medical attention, though, Larkin continued to direct the defense of Iwa Field. Pilots and ground crewmen alike rushed out onto the mat to try to save their planes from certain destruction. 
at least a few pilots intended to get airborne but could not because most of their aircraft were either afire or riddled beyond any hope of immediate use captain milo g haynes of vmf 211 sought safety behind a tractor he and the machine's driver taking shelter on the side opposite to the strafers another zero came in from another angle however and strafed them from that direction spraying bullets clipped off haynes necktie just beneath his chin then as a momentarily relieved haynes put his right hand at the back of his head a bullet lacerated his right little finger and a part of his scalp in the midst of the confusion an excited three-year-old hank anglin innocently took advantage of his father's distraction with the battle and wandered toward the map all of the noise seemed like a lot of fun sergeant anglin ran after his son got him to the ground and shielding him with his own body crawled some thirty-five yards little puffs of dirt coming near them at times as they clambered inside the radio trailer to get out of harm's way a bullet made a hole above the door moving back to the photo tent the elder anglin put his son under a wooden bench as he sat about gathering his camera gear to take pictures of the action a bullet went through his left arm deprived of the use of that arm for a time anglin returned to the bench under which his son still crouched obediently to see little hank point to a spent bullet on the floor and hear him warn don't touch that daddy it's hot private first-class james w mann the driver assigned to ewa's 1938 ford ambulance had been refueling the vehicle when the attack began when lieutenant thomas l allman medical corps u s n the group medical officer saw the first planes break into flames he ordered mann to take the ambulance to the flight line accompanied by pharmacist mate second class orrin d smith a corpsman from sick bay they sped off the japanese planes seemed to be attracted to the bright red crosses on the ambulance however and halted its progress near the mooring mast realizing that they were under attack man floored the brake pedal and the ford screeched to a halt rather than leave the vehicle for a safer area man and smith crawled underneath it so that they could continue their mission as quickly as possible the strafing however continued unabated ironically the first casualty man had to collect was the man lying prone beside him orrin smith felt a searing pain as one of the japanese seven point seven millimeter rounds found its mark in the fleshy part of his left calf seeing that the corpsman had been hurt man assisted him out from under the vehicle and up into the cab despite continued strafing that shot out four tires man pressed doggedly ahead and delivered the wounded smith to sick bay after seeing that the corpsman's bleeding was stopped and the painful wound was cleaned and dressed private first-class man sprinted to his own tent grabbing his rifle he then returned to the battered ambulance and shot out tires flopping drove toward ewa's garage there master technical sergeant lawrence r darner directed his men to replace the damaged tires with those from a mobile water purifier meanwhile smith resumed his duties as a member of the dressing station crew also watching the smoke beginning to billow skyward was sergeant duane w shar u s m c r the driver of the station fire truck normally during off-duty hours the truck sat parked a quarter mile from the landing area 
shaw figuring that it was his job to put out the fires climbed into the fire engine and set off unfortunately like private first-class man's ambulance sergeant shaw's bright red engine moving across the embattled camp soon attracted strafing zeros unfazed by the enemy fire that perforated his vehicle in several places he drove doggedly toward the flight line until another zero shot out his tires only then pausing to make a hasty estimate of the situation he reasoned that with the fire truck at least temporarily out of service he would have to do something else climbing down from the cab he soon got himself a rifle and some ammunition then he set out for the flight line if he could not put out fires he could at least do some firing of his own at the men who caused them with the parking area cloaked in black smoke japanese fighter pilots shifted their efforts to the planes either out for repairs in the rear areas or to the utility planes parked north of the intersection of the main runways inside ten minutes time machine-gun fire likewise transformed many of those planes into flaming wreckage firing only small arms and rifles in the opening stages the marines fought back against kaga's fighters as best they could with almost reckless heroism lieutenant shiga remembered one particular leatherneck who oblivious to the machine-gun fire striking the ground around him and kicking up dirt stood transfixed emptying his sidearm at shiga's zero as it roared past years later shiga would describe that lone defiant and unknown marine as the bravest american he had ever met a tragic drama however soon unfolded amidst the japanese attack one marine sergeant william e lutchen jr u s m c r a truck driver had been under suspicion of espionage and he was ordered placed under arrest in the exchange of gunfire that followed his resisting being taken into custody though he was shot dead with that one exception the marines at iwa field had fought back to a man as if akagi's and kaga's fighters had not sown enough destruction on iwa one division of zeros from soiru and one from hiru arrived on the scene fresh from laying waste to many of the planes at wheeler field this second group of fighter pilots went about their work with the same deadly precision exhibited at wheeler only minutes before the raid caught master technical sergeant darner's crew in the middle of changing the tires on the station's ambulance private first-class man who by that point had managed to obtain some ammunition for his rifle dropped down with the rest of the marines at the garage and fired at the attacking fighters as they streaked by lieutenant kiyokumo okajima led his six fighters down through the rolling smoke executing strafing attacks until ground fire holed the forward fuel tank of his wingman petty officer first class kazuo muranaka when okajima discovered the damage to muranaka's plane he decided that his men had pressed their luck far enough and began to assemble his unit and shepherd them toward the rendezvous area some ten miles west of cana point the retiring japanese in all likelihood then spotted incoming planes from enterprise cv six that had been launched at six eighteen to scout a hundred and fifty miles ahead of the ship in nine two-plane sections 
their planned flight path to pearl was to take many of them over iwa mooring mast field where some would encounter japanese aircraft meanwhile back at iwa after what must have seemed an eternity the zeros of the first wave at last wheeled away toward their rendezvous point having made a shambles of the marine air base japanese pilots claimed the destruction of sixty aircraft on the ground akagi's airmen accounted for eleven kaga's fifteen soryu's twelve and hiryu's twenty-two their figures were not too far off the mark for forty-seven aircraft of all types had been parked at the field at the beginning of the onslaught thirty-three of which had been fully operational although the japanese had wreaked havoc upon mag twenty one's complement of planes the group's casualties seemed miraculously light apparently the enemy fighter pilots in the first wave maintained a fairly high degree of discipline eschewing attacks on people and concentrating their attacks on machines many of iwa's marines however had parked their cars near the center of the station by the time the japanese departed the parking lot resembled a junkyard of mangled automobiles of various makes and models overcoming the initial shock of the first strafing attack iwa's marines took stock of their situation as soon as the last of Italia's and shiga's zeros had departed marines went out and manned stations with rifles and thirty caliber machine guns taken from damaged aircraft and from the squadron ordnance rooms technical sergeant william g turnage an armorer supervised the setting up of the free machine guns technical sergeant anglin meanwhile took his little boy to the guardhouse where a woman motorist agreed to drive hank home to his mother as it would turn out that reunion was not to be accomplished until much later that day inasmuch as the distraught mother had already left home to look for her son master technical sergeant emil s peters a veteran of action in nicaragua had during the first attack reported to the central ordnance tent to lend a hand in manning a gun by the time he arrived there however there were none left to man then he saw a douglas spd two one of the two spares assigned to vmsb two thirty two parked behind the squadron's tents enlisting the aid of private william g turner vmsb two thirty one squadron clerk peters ran over to the ex lexington machine that still bore her u s n markings to b six pulled the after canopy forward and clambered in the after cockpit stepping hard on the foot pedal to unship the free thirty caliber browning from its housing in the after fuselage and then locking it in place turner having obtained a supply of belted ammunition took his place on the wing as peter's assistant elsewhere nursing his painfully wounded finger and leg lieutenant colonel larkin ordered extra guards posted on the perimeter of the field and on the various roads leading into the base men not engaged in active defence went to work fighting the many fires drivers parked what trucks and automobiles had remained intact on the runways to prevent any possible landings by airborne troops although hardly transforming iwa into a fortress the marines ensured that they would be ready for any future attack undoubtedly most of the men at iwa expected correctly that the japanese would return 
at about eight thirty five enemy planes again made their appearance in the sky over iwa but this time marines stood or crouched ready and waiting for what proved to be lieutenant commander takahashi's dive bombing unit from shokaku returning from its attack on the naval air station at pearl harbor and the army's hickam field roaring in from just about the treetops initially their targets appeared to be the planes but seeing that most had already been destroyed the enemy pilots turned to strafing buildings and people in a heavy and prolonged assault better prepared than they had been when lieutenant commander italia zeros had opened the battle iwa's marines met takahashi's vals with heavy fire from rifles thompson machine guns thirty caliber machine guns and even pistols in retaliation after completing their strafing runs the japanese pilots pulled up in steep wing overs allowing their rear seat gunners to take advantage of the favorable deflection angle to spray the defenders with seven point seven millimeter bullets marine observers later recounted that shokaku's planes also dropped light bombs perhaps of the sixty kilogram variety as they counted five small craters on the field after the attack in response to the second onslaught as they had in the first all available marines threw themselves into the desperate defense of their base the additional strafing attack started numerous fires within the camp area adding new columns of dense smoke to those still rising from the planes on the parking apron unfortunately the ground fire seemed far more brave than accurate because all of shokaku's dive bombers repeatedly zoomed skyward seemingly unhurt even taking into account possible damage sustained during attacks over ford island and hickam only four of takahashi's planes sustained any damage over oahu before they retired the departure of shokaku's vows afforded lieutenant colonel larkin the opportunity to reorganize the camp defenses there was ammunition to be distributed wounded men to be succored and seemingly innumerable fires burning amidst the tents buildings and planes to be extinguished however around nine thirty yet another flight of enemy planes appeared about fifteen vows from kaga and hiryu although the pilots of those planes had expended their two hundred and fifty kilogram bombs on ships at pearl harbor they still apparently retained plenty of seven point seven millimeter ammunition and seemed determined to expend much of what remained upon iwa as in the previous attacks by shokaku's vows the last group came in at very low altitude from just over the tops of the trees surrounding the station quite taken by the high maneuverability of the nimble dive-bombers which they were seeing at close hand for the second time that day the marines mistook them for fighter aircraft with fixed landing gear around that time lieutenant colonel larkin saw an american plane and a japanese one collide in mid-air a short distance away from the field in all probability larkin saw enterprises ensign john h l vaux dauntless collide with a vow vaught had become separated from his section leader during the pearl-bound flight in from the carrier may have circled offshore and then arrived over iwa in time to encounter dive-bombers from kaga or hiryu 
Bocht and his passenger, radioman third-class Sidney Pierce, bailed out of their SBD, but at too low an altitude, for both died in the trees when their chutes failed to deploy fully. Neither of the Japanese crewmen escaped from their vow when it crashed. Fortunately for the Marines, however, the last raid proved comparatively light and ineffectual, something Lieutenant Colonel Larkin attributed to the heavy gunfire thrown skyward. The short respite between the second and third strafing attacks had allowed Iwa's defenders to bring all possible weapons to bear against the Japanese. Technical Sergeant Turnage, after having gotten the base's machine guns set up and ready for action, took over one of the mounts himself and fired several bursts into the belly of one vow that began trailing smoke and began to falter soon thereafter. Turnage, however, was by no means the only Marine using his weapon to good effect. Master Technical Sergeant Peters and Private Turner, from their improvised position in the lamed SPD, had let fly at whatever valves came within range of their guns. The two Marines shot down what witnesses thought were at least two of the attacking planes, and discouraged strafing in that area of the station. However, the Japanese soon tired of the tenacious bravery of the grizzled veteran and the young clerk, neither of whom flinched in the face of repeated strafing. Two particular enemy pilots repeatedly peppered the grounded Dauntless with 7.7mm fire, ultimately scoring hits near the cockpit area and wounding both men. Turner toppled from the wing, mortally wounded. Another Marine, who distinguished himself during the third strafing attack, was Sergeant Carlo A. Micheletto of Marine Utility Squadron, VMJ-252. During the first Japanese attack that morning, Micheletto proceeded at once to VMJ-252's parking area and went to work, helping in the attempts to extinguish the fires that had broken out amongst the squadron's parked utility planes. He continued in those labors until the last strafing attack began. Putting aside his firefighting equipment and grabbing a rifle, he took cover behind a small pile of lumber and, heedless of the heavy machine gunning, continued to fire at the attacking planes until a burst of enemy fire struck him in the head and killed him instantly. End of Part 2